Shalom. Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Christchurch Jerusalem, although we are in the Galilee today, uh, as we, in our Wednesday Bible study, studying Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. And uh, it's delightful to have everybody around. Hope that you're blessed by this study, as uh, we are also blessed by our community. As, uh, we have become friends, sisters, and brothers in the Lord, wrestling with his scriptures, wanting to become better disciples of the risen Messiah. We know that Jesus is present, his spirit is here, and we will acknowledge that uh, by beginning our study in prayer. So, Sister Sharon, can you lead us in prayer? Lord Jesus, we just come to you today, Father, as a, the King and the Master of the universe and maker of our hearts and our minds and our souls. And we ask in Jesus' name, Lord, you refresh us, renew us, encourage us, strengthen us in our daily lives and meet all of our needs, Father, and the needs of those listening. And we just pray, Lord, you'd meet every need that's out there and in here and uh, all that uh, needs to happen in each one of our lives, our families, and bring salvation and encouragement and strength to many. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here we are, back again, uh, wrestling with the epistle to the Galatians. And as our tradition, we go over the notes of our study as best as I could remember it and record it, um, looking at a summary of Galatians 5, verses 1 to 12. So, pagan culture was infused with idolatry and immorality, all wrapped in the presence of demonic elemental spirits. The Messiah of Israel, Jesus of Nazareth, had set free both Jews and Gentiles to no longer be yoked to slavery. The slavery mentioned here is the bondage to sin. Gentiles had been in defenseless bondage to elemental principles without God, and Jews had had the yoke of the Torah to guard against sin. Now, through the Messiah, everyone has access to the yoke of the kingdom of heaven as equal members without distinction in the kingdom. The yoke of the Messiah is easy and his burden is light. Why leave the freedom of the kingdom of heaven, which is still a yoke and does not involve lawlessness? Why leave the freedom of the kingdom of heaven for either the yoke of the Torah or empty pagan culture? To emphasize the importance of the question, Paul adds his own identity to the question, starting by, I, Paul. This highlights his authority as a father figure and initiator of the Galatian faith community, who are his disciples and not the disciples of the influencers. Paul also identifies the main issue now, circumcision as a sign and symbol of conversion. This would only apply to Gentiles as All Jews are already circumcised. Circumcision is not something evil in and of itself. The covenant of circumcision is an eternal covenant with Abraham and his descendants in Genesis 17. Jewish children at eight days are not consulted as to their willingness to observe the covenant. However, for Gentiles, the process is voluntary. The yoke of the Torah was never applied to Gentiles at Sinai. Those Gentiles that embraced monotheism could become Jewish through circumcision, but once Jews, they were then yoked with the Torah. The Torah already is not something that saves you, as the Israelites were already saved and redeemed from Egypt before being given the Torah. The Torah is simply and importantly, the divine teaching and instruction of God. And as Paul has argued in chapter 3, the Torah was the guardian and shield, but now we have the Spirit and the Messiah. So why did the, the need of the Gentiles to be circumcised? Or, as Paul says, making the Torah once again your shield and defense makes the Messiah of no advantage. Paul also uses the phrase, severed from Christ, to add further emphasis of how much truly is severed through circumcision should, it be, so should circumcision be imposed on the Gentiles. 
Many things are severed should the Gentiles accept circumcision as a sign of, the, of conversion, severed from table fellowship, severed from the community, breakdowns in family bonds, etc. Circumcision is not being discussed by Paul as obsolete, as Paul will circumcise Timothy, if he is Jewish. Rather, circumcision is irrelevant for both Jews and Gentiles in the context of being in the Messiah. Just as males and females do not disappear, and we all suddenly adopt non-binary identity, Jews and Gentiles similarly do not disappear, and the primary difference between them the covenant of circumcision. Paul has already argued that later covenants do not abrogate a former covenant, that is, the Mosaic covenant does not abrogate the Abrahamic covenant nor its promises to Gentiles. Paul now turns his attention to his antagonists, the influencers, and he has some pretty strong things to say about them. The faith race is a metaphor used several times in scripture, and it's something we all participate in. Paul says the Galatians have been running well, but now there was a hiccup. The teaching of the influences is described as a hindrance in the race to the to obedience to the truth, which is a clever flip, which is a clever way to flip the discussion as the influences are calling the Gentiles to obedience to the works of the Torah. The Galatians don't need to listen to the influences as they already obey the truth the truth of the Messiah. Paul prefers the influences amputate themselves further, both physically further and emasculate themselves, and in distancing or severing themselves from the Galatian community. So that's a little summary from our time back then. So now we pick it up at verse 13. Okay, so Galatians 15, verse 13, uh, for those in podcast land, uh, I'm reading from uh, an ESV. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out. You are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. That's our passage that we will look at Today, a bit of a summary now coming up of his argument. All right. So, once again, so anything that you've heard some of these verses many times before, I'm sure, and many of us have bought the coffee mugs with all fruits of the Spirit on them. Also, a very good fundraising thing for churches to do. Uh, is there anything there that jumps out for you? I got the t shirt too. Yes, I know. The fruits of the Spirit. I. It's uh, one of those good things. Most of us do not walk around with a, the works of the flesh are these. Okay, a T-shirt. We usually walk around with a, the works of the spirit are these um, type thing. It's interesting, Erin. Sorry, as you're talking, it just came to me that here we were talking about the works of the law. 
you know, such physical stuff we're having to do. And the fruit of the spirit is not something we typically do. We just have to be in the vine. And, yeah. and, and God does that through us. He produces that fruit or the Holy Spirit. You know, God does it himself. So yeah. I find that quite interesting, that kind of contrast. Okay. One is really liberty and freedom. Yep. So the contrast is, I think what Peter is saying, contrast is the works that we do, which tend to be pretty poor, to the fruit that the Spirit does, the work that the Spirit does, which produces these things, which are then opposite. Our works, God, God's works. Is that kind of what you're saying? You're saying? In a sense, yes. In a sense. The, the, the works of the law is quite heavy and burdensome. Right. The minute you say, I'm going to do something, it becomes a chore, becomes something that you just can't suddenly do. But as a fruit, it's just something when you're abiding in Christ, it just gets produced. Right. By the spirit. So it's the spirit. It's the fruit of the spirit, not the fruit of our effort or travail. Yes. It's a fruit of what? The fruit of the spirit. I mean, there is a participation, though. Yes. Or is there no participation from our side? No, there obviously is. But right. we having to do that abiding, to be faithful, to, to be in Christ, and, and he does the work in us. Yes. Same thing with the Torah. If you're, if you're following God's instructions, you're going to get the same fruits. Right. If you are, correct. Well, they still had to march, right? <laughs> around around Jericho, you mean? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> and just in general, yeah, uh, physically marching. So they're, you know, the, the human right. element, of course, in, Christ, in, in, in the Lord. But they still yeah. had to move forward. Yeah. Yes. The grace is not opposed to effort, and obedience is, is part of the kingdom of heaven. You're still obedient to a king. Mm-hmm. And they have the choice, don't they? We have the choice either to um, allow the spirit, allow the fruits of the flesh, fruits of the spirit to work in us, or we have the choice to choose to do otherwise. Right. So I, think I mean, unless you're Calvinist, then of course you would say you don't have a choice. <laughs> well, okay, I'm not looking at it from that point of view. Yes, I know, I know. I, 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 I would happen to see with you, Teresa. I happen. Calvinists would, would disagree with me intensely. Yeah, I understand. Um, so yeah. all Calvinists who, who are out there most likely will be uh, disagreeing with us. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a healthy uh, discussion. <laughs> Not really, because there are scriptures that are clear that say we are actively involved in the whole process. And so, yeah, Correct. I think yes. the key, yeah. I find the key is like just saturating yourself in God, mm-hmm. in his word, right. in prayer, in worship, yeah. so that it permeate, God permeates my attitudes and actions because I can be really, you know, selfish and human and yeah. <laughs> fleshy otherwise. But then the more the spirits in me, you can see the difference in your attitudes, your yeah. actions, your reactions, right? Yeah. I mean, I like the, the conversations that we're having because here we are looking at a text and we're discussing and it's, it's having some meaning to us. We also, at some point, though, delve back into 2,000 years ago and put it back into the context of what Paul is saying in relation to why he has to write this epistle. And uh, let's remember that um, he's been to this community. He's started this community. This community has left its pagan culture, um, which had all kinds of elements in it, elemental principles behind these these idolatry with demons, says Paul, etc. He considered them having to be running well when he had left. And then subsequent to his departure, um, another a group of influences as yet uh, unnamed. He might describe a little bit more of them in, in chapter six and have caused all kinds of trouble. He's heard about it somehow and he writes his, his epistle back. And here he is saying in, in verse 13, you were called to freedom. Right? We have a calling, which is, which is, which is nice. We'll have a calling. We'll, and the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable, which is one of my uh, uh, all-time favorites is that people say, I don't know, I wonder if I've missed my call in life, you know, and I'm now just spinning my wheels waiting until the Messiah returns, which I can then apologize to Jesus and say, sorry, I missed it. Um, but the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable, which is a nice sentence because it means that, okay, if you missed it today, it's okay. It's the same calling tomorrow, right? It's irrevocable. You'll, you can pick it up. You know, it's, it's, it's nice. To just wherever you are in the race, stumble, fine. But get up, 
and, and keep running. We were called to freedom, which is uh, a, a very nice verse. We are not called to live in bondage to the enemy. We are not called to live in bondage to sin. We're, we're called to, to have a, a relationship with the Lord and have freedom. But what does it mean to be free? And this is a question I think that uh, is actually quite relevant in our churches and communities today. Why? Because we've taken our freedom in the Messiah and have run a little rampant with it and have allowed all kinds of things to enter into our communities, which I'm sure Paul would not condone and neither would the Messiah or the Holy Spirit for that matter. Uh, so we are called to freedom. Excellent. But immediately Paul turns around and says, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, okay? but through love serve one another. Why would he sort of put these things together, do you think? What's, what's going on in the community or even applied to our communities today? Using an opportunity for the flesh, our freedom for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Any ideas as to why uh, or how this might even be applicable for today's uh, community? Arie, the, uh, the Greek here, my little thing says, the Greek word for flesh is, you'll say there, refers to the sinful state of human beings, often presented as a power in opposition to the spirit. You want to yes. flesh out that word? No. The word is sarx. It means uh, meat in Greek, flesh. Paul has adopted it from the Hebrew basah, which is a little bit broader, but also has the meaning of meat. Okay. Sin nature is a pretty good uh, English attempt at an equivalent, but it's a, it's a metaphor that's really quite unique and even uh, probably a little bit perplexing to the Greek, pagan Greeks at the time. Okay. Perplexing in what way do you think, Aria? Because they, don't, don't parts of the Greek world automatically think that the flesh is just, you know, bad and spirit good? Well, that's the human body, and that's not okay. exactly what Paul is saying here. Okay. Kol basar in the, old, in the Hebrew Bible, we have in our classic English translation, is all flesh. And we, we've kind of come to know what that means generally, but again, it literally means meat. Yeah. It's the old, the old man, Paul's old man, old nature, that he's crucified with Christ. It's interesting here that uh, he says, don't let it have an opportunity. So he's implying that uh, even though it's been crucified, it's not, still not exactly dead. And if you give him a fighting chance, he'll be down off the cross in a flash. <laughs> and it's interesting in verse 15 that he, the, you know, there's that, that, that like in a, like the metaphorically that's, but if you bite and devour one another just as you know biting the flesh so it's interesting that he uses those those uh, that connotation can i ask Ari a question because it just made me think of something we know that our flesh has been circumcised um, from us because of the work lord jesus did on the cross but we also in i think it's one thessalonians the last chapter says that your body, soul, and spirit may be preserved blameless. That's the body there is not the flesh, is it? It's different. No. If I had to take that trilogy of Paul's right there and define it, I would say that the Paul's flesh consists of body and soul in their unredeemed states. Okay. And uh, a, a merger of body and soul becomes our dictator even uh, in opposition to God's spirit. Okay, because we do get new bodies. Because our yes. body is re, uh, what's the word, regenerated, whatever. But not, but not our flesh. And I was just thinking of the Greek. Is there really a key difference between when he uses the terms flesh and body? There is a difference, as I outlined. Uh, body is, is a neutral term to Paul. Uh, we're stuck with a corruptible body, a corrupted body. We will be with it until the end of days or until our resurrection. So body is neutral. Okay. Flesh, is, flesh in, this, in this sense is negative. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, so, that, so now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're saying that that just means like 
our carcass? Body is is physical body. Soul here is a soul that's being renewed in the image of Christ Jesus. The spirit has become our merged spirit with the Holy Spirit. So all of these, Paul is saying, may they be preserved. Right on. So like, yeah, so I understood that we're a trinity made in the image of God, body, soul, and spirit, just like God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I don't think Paul would have said that, but but they, they are identifiable elements of a human being, but they are inextricably merged into one. You can't take them apart. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But you see, but then Hebrews says that the word of God is powerful and active and sharper than a two-edged sword so that it almost divides soul and spirit. So mm-hmm. do you believe your soul is your emotive part and your spirit is your mind, will, and emotions? Mm-hmm. That's Probably a good approximation, if not uh, complete. It's a bit of a mystery. The theologians are are debating it to this very day. Yes, even within denominations, not necessarily denomination against the denomination, but within a denomination, there's debates as to what some of these things uh, mean and how they apply. So can um, I just ask one more tiny question? So is the word soul, what is the word soul versus the word spirit, Arie? from which we get our, our psychology and all of the uh, cognate English words. I think uh, our emotional person uh, is involved there. To some degree, our understanding. The higher we go with understanding, the closer we get to spirit, because the God really wants our to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. So understanding is more important than feeling in God's outline of priorities in the New Testament. That's why it's so important to study, and it's unfortunate so few of us do it so little. Yeah. One of the things that I uh, enjoyed researching recently was um, King Solomon, the wisest of men, who, uh, when the Lord approached him in, in a dream, and dream sequences are very rare in the Bible. You can count them on your hand, how many people have had dreams. Then, you know, the Lord says, so what, uh, what boon do you want? What shall I give you? The English says, I'd like an understanding mind. The Hebrew says, I'd like a lev shamea, which is, I think, a, a very interesting way of saying it. Lev heart shamea hears. Uh, give me a, an English. My English translation says understanding mind. The Hebrew says, give me a heart that hears. And uh, what, a, what a wonderful thing to, to say. I want to hear you, Lord, and deep, deep inside me. Then I can listen, meditate on, dwell on, and let it really change who I am. And I think that perhaps there's a lot of that idea that has, has come down from uh, the Hebrew Bible, that the Lord wants to circumcise our hearts. He wants to take out hearts of stone and make them hearts of flesh, he wants to really get deep down inside and, uh, and dwell. We could bear in mind here that the Hebrews thought with their heart. Correct. We we think of them in our Anglo-Saxon terms as the seat of emotion, but for right. the Hebrew, that's where thoughts dwelled. Correct. Yes. Yes. We definitely have those two together. Okay. So we do not use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Right. So this is advice from our brother 2,000 years ago. Um, I would dare say we haven't learned that, uh, applied that very well in large sections of our modern church movement. Now, you might disagree with me, of course, and that's perfectly well. <laughs> uh, however, I've looked around. I think some of you have too. And we're a little bit dismayed, I think, in some of um, what's inappropriate behavior that goes upon uh, as we would say, I have now freedom in Christ. I can now kind of do anything I want. Yeah. And, and, I, yeah. and I would say that Paul definitely does not want that to happen. Okay? Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Now, that's an interesting thing to tack on, right? As opposed to saying, uh, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for flesh, so stop having orgies, which he's going to do in perhaps Corinthians. But here, don't don't let that your free don't, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Serve one another. So what's what's uh, another hint of what's going on in, in our little community here? Obviously, a lack of service. 
a lot of individualism, a lot of, well, it's all about me and uh, what I can get, what, what Paul is saying and what Paul has learned through the Messiah and what we've seen through Jesus in the Gospels is a servant king that through love serve one another. That's a, that's a heavy denial of self. Uh, sometimes it's very hard to serve each other, especially if we don't like each other. But um, it's, it's not always easy, and we're going to need we're going to need the compassion of the Lord to achieve some of these things. A renewing of our mind, a, a listening in our in our heart, and then an interesting verse. And I'm going to ask, what stands out for you here? For the whole law is fulfilled in one word: love your neighbor as yourself. Hey, what's what's your immediate reaction? The whole law is fulfilled in one sentence. It should be? Love God. Yes. <laughs> right. Our immediate response is, no, wait, wait. The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, soul. And the second is, right, that's what Jesus said. Paul turns around and goes, well, wait a second. It's fulfilled in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. So let's, let's unpack why he would say such a thing. Now, let, we, we would assume, of course, the Galatians have access to the Septuagint. They know these verses already. They have studied this stuff before. They are familiar with this passage in Leviticus. One would hope you already know what the, the, the law is. It's not foreign to them. It's not that they say the whole law, what law? I've never heard of this stuff. What are you talking about, Paul? You know, you've read it every Shabbat. The whole law is, is summed up in this commandment from Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. Where was the loving God been? All right. Over, over to you, brothers and sisters. What do you think? I just loved what that one, I can't remember his name, that um, American guy that was on a couple of weeks ago on the Bible study, and where he said that to love God, it's all very well just saying you love God, but by loving your neighbor is how we prove we love God. Yeah, uh, he just got a, I just was talking to him. He just got a job in Haiti. So he's been sent to Haiti to look after um, unwanted children of which there are a lot. So, you know, he's there um, trying to show the love of the Messiah by saying, no, 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 God loves these unwanted ones uh, very much. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I could just imagine that coming from him. <laughs> yeah. And I thought that was, to me, that really struck me. It was very profound, and I thought exactly that's what it is. We always say, oh, we love God, we love God, but it's really hard to love your neighbour. And so yeah. how can we prove we love God? It's all very well saying it. It's, you know, love is a verb. So yes, and it reminds me, Micah. I remember, I remember um, when we were in Jerusalem, and you had asked one of the studies, Aaron, what is the, what is the ratzon, what is the will of the Lord? <laughs> and I remember Micah six eight. My husband, I, I had had responded, and I think you summed it up. And I, I, one of the verses you had talked about was Micah six and and eight. And you know, what does he require? Uh, what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and love kindness, to walk humbly before your God. So if you love your neighbor, walk in, in humility and doing justice and kindness, you are in a, you know, in, in effect, um, that's how you show your love uh, ultimately to God, but through, through the, 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 uh, through your, through, through their neighbor. Thank you. Why do you think Paul is so concerned in these three verses, and we haven't even got to 15 yet, which is about biting and devouring one another. Why do you think he is so concerned with the Galatians to serve one another and to say the law is fulfilled by loving your neighbor and stop biting and devouring each other? What's going on in this community now can you see? Or do you think you can see? Yeah, like the flesh rises up and pride and, rah, 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 and conceit. Isn't it interesting that he goes on to say, don't be conceited, right? Yeah. Because conceit divides and makes you fight. When you're proud, you fight instead of love and serve and be submissive, right? Sure. Well, and the influencers are there, right? So there's that conflict, what, you know, that conflict of what, what can constitutes a true believer. So, of course, there's all these conflicts against each other and what's right and what's wrong. So that's going to definitely have the tendency to be able to fight and devour the flesh between themselves. Yep. Influence are there and they've done something which has fragmented the community. So instead of having a united community, which Paul assumed he had when we left, 
we've now got division. So much so that we have stopped loving our neighbor. We have stopped serving each other. Instead, we are actually attacking each other in various ways. Instead of saying, brother, you and I are actually the same, we have some difference of opinions of this, that, and the other, but before the Lord, we're the same. For all of a sudden, it's like, no, you're not like me. I'm actually better than you because I've done this and you haven't um, and created hierarchies that shouldn't exist. And if they're willing to beat Paul to a pulp over this, you know, what are they doing yeah. to each other? Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and, and I think uh, what was, uh, we talked about this last study, uh, Aaron, when you were, I know you weren't there with your, with your son, but ultimately how a community, it, it doesn't matter of course, it matters, but it's it's not how much Hebrew or Greek or how much doctrine or how much Bible, but it's how well a community can 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 be in peace and how that's what's really going to show. I mean, that's going to when he says, "Don't defile my name among the nations," and we are so good at doing that. <laughs> we have such a we are just we you know we've got it down. But when a, a community of faith. Of believers in the in, in the Messiah and Yeshua can come together and love each other amongst our political parties or what we believe about the vaccine or you know um, uh, it you know you can go on and on but how we come together and love each other that's so that overrides how much knowledge and information and and um, that's and then and, and what a powerful tool that is a united community. To expand the kingdom, it's, it's amazing. Yes, you're right, Yvonne. A united community is unstoppable. And as, as, as Yeshua, as Jesus says, the gates of hell cannot stop this, right? And so what's one of the tools of the enemy? He comes in and he pulls us apart. And suddenly, instead of actually marching forward, taking ground, winning, winning souls, fighting back the enemy and casting our demons, we're too busy fighting amongst ourselves over silly things which we call doctrine. Some things are important. I'm not saying that doctrine is bad at all. Right? There are some things that, that are non-negotiable and we do have to defend them. But there are, some, there are, there are ways to do that. And, uh, and there are some, also some very inappropriate ways to behave as believers when we argue over certain parts of, of Scripture. And instead of loving our neighbour as this community probably was doing when Paul had, had initially been there, but something's happened and he feels the need to turn around and say, listen, the whole law is summed up by loving your neighbor. So get cracking. You know that. And then at verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, now I'm not, he's not talking about cannibalism, of course. Of course he's not. It's a um, picture, a metaphor, a way of trying to describe how they're attacking each other verbally uh, or even socially, maybe even physically. Um, but watch out that you are not consumed by one, by one another. What's the danger for us guys when we actually start um, fighting amongst ourselves? Bitterness comes in. Yeah, that's a good one. We, we, yeah, bitterness uh, enters our spirits um, and it can have pride. some very disastrous pride. Yes, pride can tear us apart. Suddenly, instead of being humble and serving, we want to be served and think that we're a little bit more than we're not. This reminds me of Proverbs, um, which I think the, 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 the link with um, Galatians, the, the flesh, but he says there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that divides plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. Oh, that's, there you go. What reference is that one, please? That's Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. And it ties in, I think, not perfectly, but, you know, the fruit of the spirit and the fruit of the flesh and Galatians. Right. Um, okay. What was uh, what some of those horrible phrases, you know, that the, the, the Christian army is the only army in the world that shoots its own wounded. You know, those kinds of horrible expressions where instead of supporting each other, uh, we end up um, doing, doing the actual opposite. But I think um, when we attack each other, the danger is that we, are not, we might be consumed by one another, that in our arguments and in our discord, in, in our pride, at the same time as in our bitterness and our hurt from each other, 
some people can, can get so disillusioned with the thing we call the church, the community, the household of faith, that they leave it, right? We, you know, people can say, look, I'm done. I'm done with church. I'm just going to sit in my house and, and, and read my own Bible now. I'm done. And we know people like that. I bet, I bet everybody here knows someone like that. We go, oh, my gosh, look what we've done. We've, we've, we've dis- had such discord within our community that we have actually consumed ourselves, so much so that we won't even go outside our house to be with our brothers and sisters anymore. We'll just, we'll just decide to retreat. And, um, and that's a very dangerous place to be. Now, I'm not saying that you can't be a believer in your own home all by yourself with your own Bible, but it's not the healthy and I think it's a little dangerous. No, I think it's good, Aaron, to go all the way because you can't. In fact, my son is a good example lately that he's just kind of was hermitizing because of hurt, right? And you get hurt by other people and then you sort of want to, you know, pull back because he's an introverted right. personality. And right. also lately, this whole community of our, our families down, many of which are not believers in Christ. And so the thing is, another guy who is a believer, you know, sows discord and, you know, causes a big a ruckus. And it's just hurt instead of dealing with it quickly this is what we're seeing so it's festered for six months in his heart well you know and it's like okay just deal with your frustration or your irritation with another believer immediately you go to them don't talk to the community about it or anybody else and deal with it and just say you know i feel this way when this happened and you know solve the conflict among yourselves because otherwise it just becomes a huge mess a valuable teaching from the messiah if i recall go to your brother and get it sorted. Yep. This is a teaching from a warning from Paul 2000 years ago, and we still wrestle with the same things. Nothing new under the sun, as the wise man once said. Okay. So, but I say, verse 16, whoa, that's an interesting thing to start a sentence, isn't it? But I say, as opposed to anybody else saying, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So what does it mean when Paul says, but I say? We've actually had people mention this before in our discussions. It's a hard thing, isn't it, Um, when Paul says, but I say? Well, I know what you're saying, Paul. You're the one writing the darn book. At which point does does it become Paul? And which point does it become gospel? Or is there no difference? Or is there a difference? It's just, or is this just way of talking well he says but i say walk by the spirit in the sense of halaha right sure so- the idea of when, when if if some, someone uses the word walk you know, in hebrew you would say yeah what is the halacha of the spirit how do you walk out your faith you know paul says walk in the spirit not sit in the spirit there is something to do with some sort of action I personally don't think there's a difference if Paul says, I say, or if he's quoting scripture or the law or anything like that, because when Paul says, I say, he's filled with the spirit and he's writing this under the unction of the Holy Spirit. So for me personally, I think all scriptures God breathed and, you know, given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Yes. That's me personally. Yeah. No, I I agree too. And of course, I would also at the same breath, Say, keep him in context. Yeah. And yes, because we, you know, Paul is one of those guys that people just wrestle with so much because of some of his quote unquote controversial statements. But you need to compare scriptures with scriptures and to get the context. Oh, yes. Scriptures with scriptures, context, uh, etc. And in the Anglican tradition, and I can add that to being an Anglican, but of course, no one else has to be. Okay, uh, scripture, uh, spirit, and re- tradition and reason. Okay, are the, the ways you interpret Bible. Okay, that's that. Some things are just logical, <laughs> um, and and and, uh, and and those three are, are three stool, three pegs of a stool. Um, I might take a second and just sort of challenge a little bit in the sense that you're allowed. Will uh, allow us to interpret it versus our reason because sometimes the reason goes against the spirit's comprehension. Yeah, yeah, that's why you have three. So we're supposed to interpret the scripture by the spirit of God. So in other words, the spirit of God. You know how he says, like the Holy Spirit will be your helper to help you understand these things. Yes, I know. 
I understand, Sharon, but for thousands of years, a lot of people have come along and said, I'm full of the Holy Spirit and I'm interpreting the Bible in a certain way, and we would all disagree. And, and so it's, it's not as easy to say, well, we'll just do it this way and it'll all work out because 2,000 years later, the proof is, well, it hasn't quite worked out that way. Um, Paul is a, is a very challenging writer and some things he says are very hard to understand. And even within the text itself, it says, you know, Paul's really hard to understand. So, Aaron, in, in the context of our culture, you mean? So, in other words, if we're trying to put it in even culture, Even in his culture, I'm 100% yeah. sure. So, here we have a, a verse, you know, I say, walk by the Spirit. Okay. So, some people will dismiss that because it says, I say. But I'm not saying that. It's not what I'm saying. Don't put that in my mouth. <laughs> uh, what I'm saying is, this is one of those verses that, that, when you come to uh, a discussion on what's inspired scripture and, 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 and which is just Paul talking, right? Because there are some verses where we will just say, oh, that's just Paul talking. Right? Um, and that is the way some, some people handle some of the difficult passages. It's one of those things we have to wrestle with in an honest fashion. So Paul says, I say, and I would agree with him. I think we're all agreeing with him. Walk by the Spirit. So, Arie, what does that mean? That Greek there, for example. Excuse me for interrupting you. Go turn to the Greek. <laughs> peripateo. Peripateo is walk around. What? No, no, no. The bit, the bit that says "I say." Like, what? What does he? What's um, Lego? Lego. I say. Quite literal, yeah. simple. Literal. Okay. I say. All right. Remember, Paul's dictating this most likely to somebody. Someone's writing, and they giving him verbatim. Uh, we would assume. Uh, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So there's this little uh, battle going on and the desires of the flesh. Well, what are they? And he says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. If we haven't quite figured out that there's a little war going on between the two, there is. Uh, the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. But these are opposed to each other. There's this interesting dichotomy to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Is there a verse that jumps to mind? Uh, that's also by Paul, that very much sort of come, sometimes relates to this. I do the things that I don't want to do. Yes, and you go, oh, well, that's just us down to a T, right? There's this thing that we wrestle with. And I, sometimes I think that that's probably why the world thinks we're just a bunch of hypocrites, right? You know, because they, they look at us as, as you know, we say we're saved and redeemed and we're changed and transformed and then they turn around and go, yeah, but you do the same rubbish I do. Yeah. Wish I didn't, though. Yeah, big difference there. <laughs> uh, but our yeah. motivation ultimately comes from God and his spirit, Correct. What people think, right? Yes. No, that's, that's true. But we're still having a witness to other people. So what they think does still matter, right? We are trying to have a witness, yes? We do want to have a good, positive witness for the Lord. So we should take their criticism to heart. So if we are criticized, that's actually a good opportunity to go, actually, maybe they're right. Maybe I really should adjust my behavior here. Something's, uh, maybe I'm um, not being as good a witness as I probably should be. Again, yep, Sharon? It's not something we can do, right? So it just means, oh, I need more <laughs> I need filling some- of the spirit because I understand, yeah, like our responsibility for sure, I totally agree, but there's an element where, you can't drum it up either, right? It's no, right. And I think one of the, that's why it's very important for us to continue to meet together, to wrestle with the scriptures and to encourage each other, to continue the walk and the race and the run, and all of those motives that, that, that we come. And the danger that Paul says is, you know, uh, don't neglect the habit of meeting together because when you do, it uh, can get a little dicey. Okay, so the spirit and the flesh are opposed to each other. And the spirit is there to keep you from doing things that you want to do. Okay, So it's a nice little way of saying. Or not doing things you should do. Sometimes we have to make extra special effort to do something um, that God would want us to do or not do something he doesn't want us to do. Sometimes we do have to make effort. Oh, Correct. Yes. And I think that's, yes, thanks, Roddy, for bringing that in. And uh, that reminds me of, uh, of the confession that when, when, we, when we stand before the Lord. Exactly. Exactly. You had this per- very, it's, it's a public confession. It's done as a group. 
uh, even though the, the text in the Bible does say confess your sins one to each other. But there's a public one and it, and it goes, forgive me of the things that I did and the good that I didn't do, you know, or the sin of omission, which is there was, I could have done some good things, but I didn't. And the problem is I did that deliberately. And, um, and, and that's just as bad. So we need the spirit to motivate us to go and help. We need the spirit to motivate us to go and assist. We need the spirit to, to help us to leap in when perhaps we don't really want to. Oh, I, I just wanted to mention in 1 Corinthians 7.40, Paul says, and I think that I too have the spirit of God. And so when he's talking to the Galatians, how they're having such trouble, then he says, so I say, and he believes he has the spirit of God and he wants to help them. That's his Truly father figure heart for these people, right? Correct. So, and, and as and as the the starter of this community, he does have that father-disciple relationship. You know, uh, he calls them my children. You know, he's got the right and, and the authority to say, look, but I say this. I know what the, the influence is saying, and they're wrong. I say this. Walk, walk by the spirit. It helps like- keep us from doing the things that we want to do, or as Rody reminded us, the stuff that sometimes we ought to do but don't. Yeah, the passage in Romans uh, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is accept is, is acceptable to God and approved by men. So let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Right. Yep. That's, and I like that, mutual upbuilding. There is a sense that we are a family. We are a community. And our job is to get together and to encourage each other. Uh, and so we, we cannot and must not remain separate. This, this pandemic that has hit the world has given the church a good heart attack, you know, how do we get people back? How do we keep the church connected? What happens when people sit in their homes and never come out again? What are we going to lose? What are we going to gain? So there's, we've got to, as Paul says, don't, don't stop the habit of meeting together. And so Zoom meetings, this is great. This is church. This is community. This is the household of faith from so many different varieties. I think it even could be the, maybe the way of the future we will see. But if you are, verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Okay. So remember, what's the guardian? What's the shield? What's the defender? What's the schoolmaster? Okay. It was Torah, now Spirit. Where's Torah supposed to be? In On the heart. heart. Yeah. It doesn't mean it disappears. It just goes to where we're supposed to be. Now, for those that uh, we're trying to figure out what are the works of the flesh, remember, he has talked about the works of the law before. Yes? Now, works of the flesh. Okay? And he, he says, don't, don't get involved in the works of the law, but also don't get involved in the works of the flesh. And what are they? A lot of what you see in what or he would have seen in um, pagan culture and sometimes in the sacred history of the Jewish people the Jewish people being enticed into this pagan culture. So sexual immorality, man, most of this stuff's still alive and well in today's culture. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, yeah, tick all those boxes. Uh, the internet's full of it. Uh, idolatry, sorcery, okay, that's still alive and well as well. Enmity, strife, jealousy, okay, with, with constant I mean, our advertising campaigns promote us to jealousy. Isn't that just bizarre, right? They, 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 make, they make us jealous of not having something. Fits of anger, you know, uh, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Divisions and dissensions are there because they're disruptive to the body, the community of the faith. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So there's obviously more. He just does not need to give a whole list, but he wrote a few. You could just imagine him pacing around a room, just listing off a whole litany uh, of sins that he sees out, out of his window and, um, and says, you know, stop this. Like, this is what you were doing when I showed up, and now you can stop doing that. These things, uh, I, I warn you as I warned you before. So he has mentioned this to the community before as part of his teaching, that these are the things you do not do. 
as I warned you before, those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what does that mean, do you think? Does that mean if you do this once, you're in trouble? No, the Greek uh, Greek is a habitual doing, or, or even better, habitual practicing. It's praso as, as opposed to poieo. Poieo is something do, do, did, will do. Praso is something I practice continuously. Thank you very much. Can, habitual conduct. He's not saying that um, just because you sin, suddenly you're out of the kingdom of heaven which some people think, some, some have had whole traditions, you know, where we don't, if you commit a sin and then suddenly die and get hit by a bus, you're in trouble if you haven't made a confession. Paul is saying here, and the, uh, through the Greek, that these are habitual, uh, habitual conduct. And the word inherit the kingdom of heaven. Remember, he had already talked that we are heirs, that uh, we have because of the promise to Abraham, and so that we have an inheritance that is coming from a promise from God which was the kingdom. So these were the uh, works of the flesh. And now the opposite, the spirit, because these two are in opposition. Here comes the works of the spirit or the fruit of the spirit, the stuff that you can see, right? The fruit inspector. Okay, Christine, you have a hand raised. Yeah, I just wanted to, everybody has probably saw this, but I just thought I'd just mention it anyway, is that when you look at the the actions of or this habitual conduct of the flesh, it is it is act, it's actions, you know, the person actually willfully or unwillfully or whatever does it. Yep. You, you have to lift that cup to get drunk. You want to lift that cup to get drunk. You, you take that step towards doing whatever. Right. Um, and, and then the fruit of the spirit is really outcomes from the inside, which or like what Roddy says, sometimes we, 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 we have to force ourselves to do it, but or work ourselves towards doing it. But because of the spirit, this this consciousness and this this love or this obedience moves us in that direction. And to add on to what Arie said, you know, um, this whole concept of uh, where it says, you know, who does such things, but the practice. So everyone who practices in in, in 1 John makes a practice of sin, makes a practice of sinning, also practices lawlessness for sin is lawlessness. And he says, no one who is born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sitting because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident that you are children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God and nor is the one who does not love his brother. So what's the reference there again, please? First John um, 3, uh, 4, and then 9 to 9 and 10. Okay, thank you. Yes, and it includes then loving of your brother. That's always that's somehow it's all linked in here. The um, love your neighbor, love your brother, and then all these these actions that are actually quite selfish when you think about it. Okay, you're the one getting drunk. You're not getting your brother drunk. I mean, you might be, but you're these are things that you do, right? And I, I know that my children and even just in children's ministry and, and with other people, you know, sometimes if you're a young believer and you believe that, oh, I sinned, oh my gosh, I think, you know, is the Lord not with me? And, you know, this whole concept, it's, it's actually the practice of, you know, uh, the practice of the sin. So we, we, we wage war against our flesh and against sin, but it's when you make a habitual practice of the sin, then that's an alert for all of us. Yes. It is. Yeah. It, it should be. It should be an alert. Very good. So actions, and then here are the internal outcomes, which become actions, but they come from inside. The fruit of the spirit, okay, the work that comes out of the spirit, of having the spirit, is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things, there is no law. Anything in those fruits of the spirit that stand out for you? One of my favorites, self-control. Um, I've had, how do I say this politely? I've had the opportunity 
to, ex- uh, to experience and partake of some of our brothers and sisters who become so enwrapped by the spirit, they get out of control and, you know, start doing all kinds of things. And then I go, but I'm not 100% sure that's the fruit of the spirit because the fruit of the spirit is self-control. So when someone tells me that they're out of control, then I start to get a little bit concerned. You're out, you're out of control? Well, brother, you need a bit more of the spirit then. So if you're out of control by a spirit, I would, would probably argue it might not be the whole spirit. Maybe another one. So just a warning. And you can disagree with me if you want, and that's perfectly fine. But it's something that when I read this passage, this is the one that always jumps out to me. The idea that uh, those that say I'm out of control, like mm, not 100% sure that's the Holy Spirit. Any of the others that jump out that really like them or don't like them, fair enough. Patience. They come. Patience. Yeah. It's a hard one to deal with. <laughs> yes. What's the saying? Aria, ain't sublinut be Israel. There's no patience in Israel. <laughs> Uh, which is a bit sad. They like to hunt their horns a lot in traffic. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was stuck in traffic again today, and uh, you, you should see how some guys, they just drive up the other side of the road against the flow of traffic and just cut in because they can. And you think, okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you just sit there and you go, ah, oh, Lord, I'm going to bless him. I really am. I'm going to bless him. I'm going to say, well done. That's very clever. But there's another part of me that hopes you crash, okay? and that's not right. <laughs> but it's true. Patience is a isn't good. Patience is a virtue. It's a fruit of the spirit, and um, and it's hard. It's hard to practice. It's 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 one of those things. I guess we all probably want to desire more of. I mean, we all love joy. We all love peace. That's just fantastic. And we how much love we all want some more love that we can share with each other. But um, sharing patience with each other sometimes doesn't seem like a very brave and honourable thing to do. But it's a fruit. It's a work of the spirit, and it's actually quite a good thing. And uh, I will thank everybody for those that have patience with me. Okay, I appreciate it very much. Yep. This reminds me of when, when um, you know, when 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 Moshe, when when Moses, he said, "Please show me your glory." Yes. And God said, "Okay, um, you can't see my face, but I'll I'll show you a bit of that. Go into the rock, and then eventually, the Lord passed uh, before him." And this is where, where it's the spirit, it's God's spirit. This is what, this is, this is God's nature. So in Exodus 34, the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, that long elongated nose, right? In Hebrew. Yep, slow to anger. Keeping steadfast love. So it's just the whole, that whole, we'll need to, you know, share with my children, you know, how we have to be in the image of God, the Tesselum, the, the shadow and, and, and who he is. And you can go to, to get Galatians and the fruit of the spirit, but that ultimately comes back to God in, in Exodus 34 for that, that these is are, his these are characteristics of God. Exactly. This is his spirit that exactly. lives in us and we share his characteristics. The, exactly. the passage you're mentioning is, you know, Moses says, show me your glory. And God says, mm-hmm. no, I'll show you my goodness. Exactly. Who he is. His, I'll show you is. who I really am. Exactly. And you go, look at one of the fruits of the Spirit. One of the fruits of the Spirit is goodness because God mm-hmm. is good. You know, yes, many yes. other gods mm-hmm. in the it's ancient world, well, there were all kinds of gods, but they weren't good. You know, mm-hmm. They were capricious and jealous mm-hmm. and fought and they did all kinds of things. But, mm-hmm. but you know, the God of Israel was good. He was a good mm-hmm. God. He knew how to give good things. And one of the fruits is goodness. And it's a quality that mm-hmm. I think we undervalue in people, you know. Although, although, honestly, if we have daughters, and I've got a few, and I'm sure some other people have got a few, um, whenever they want them to get married to a man, we say, is he a good man? Mm-hmm. Do we not say that? We do say that. You know, we don't say, you know, I mean, some of us might say, is he rich? But really, what we honestly really want is you want a good man. All right. Against these, there is no law. And those who belong to the Messiah have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This idea of um, dying with the Messiah, rising with the Messiah, being crucified with the Messiah, obviously uh, metaphorical, allegorical, and spiritual because um, we're not physically being crucified, but that's the, the language that's being used. We do die with him and all of those passions and desires 
we go to the grave. So we live, and if we live by the Spirit, then keep in step with the Spirit. Now, that's an interesting way to talk. Let us also keep in step. Because what does that imply? So, Ariel, help me out with the Greek. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Is it walking again? Is that the way uh, it's No, it, it's not at all. It's quite an, an unusual application here of the Greek word stoicheo. Stoichos means a row. Stoicheo is to progress, staying in, in rank, in row. One, one person's going forward with another person. A military parade, uh, you could uh, imagine here, but without the militarism. Okay. So one, what do you th- one, one, one goes forward, we all go forward in synchronized uh, progress. Okay, but which one's going forward first? It's the spirit, yes? Uh, we're all together in it. He's, he's not one to take credit, but obviously we have a leader here. You, the Holy Spirit, you mean? Is that what you're talking yes. about? Yes. yes. So how would you say it then in English in another way? Uh, let us keep pace with the Spirit. Okay. Let's not, fall, let's not fall behind the Spirit, and let's not run on ahead of the Spirit. Aha, interesting. Let's not run ahead. Well, that's also very good. Yeah. And the, the Greek there is plural. It is, it's, it's an us thing. It's not, an, it's not a me thing. Right. It's, a, it's us keeping in step, which, is, uh, which also implies movement. Uh, so not, it's not a static kingdom that we're a part of. It's not a kingdom that sits down and just waits for the rapture and does nothing. It's, it's, a, it's a kingdom that's dynamic, that's alive, that's challenging the enemy, that's beating him back wherever we meet him. That's, uh, and when the spirit moves, yes, it's keeping up with him, it's in pace with him, it's following him, it's uh, doing our best not I guess, to fall behind. Um, but it's definitely an activity. It's dynamic. And I guess that's one of the things I've also appreciated um, about coming here to Israel is just understanding that the kingdom of heaven is something that's moving. Okay? It's uh, the light of God has penetrated the darkness. It has not remained static. It is continuing to grow, which is nice and powerful and a great thing to be a part of. So let us not become conceited but provoke one another. Oh, that's an interesting thing. Why, why would we have to have to do that in envying one another? In what way? So here we are keeping it up with the Holy Spirit as a group. And what is one of our jobs? What's one of our roles as a brother or a sister? To lift one another. To love one another. Provoke one another as well. So what, what does that mean? How do I provoke you, Yvonne? How do you provoke me? How's that one? Let's put it on me. How do you provoke me? Go on. I dare you. Provoke me. It's okay. <laughs> I, I can edit it out if I don't like it. But go on. <laughs> provoke me to what? To good works. Yes, Rocky. Yeah, that's right. Challenge me on doing something. Provoke me to listen to the Spirit. Provoke me to read more Bible. Provoke me to learn a new song to sing. Okay? Provoke me on why do you wear those clothing or don't wear that clothing. You know, And, and envy one another. There's a uh, uh, Rocky who's you know garden gardener extraordinaire. And, uh, some of us, <laughs> yes, and here I am in the Galilee trying to keep plants alive in this 43 degree heat, and I'm struggling, you know. And it's like, dear Lord, why can't I have some of Rocky's uh, green thumb? Uh, you know, but, but let's put it onto some spiritual things too. But you know, why can't I have some of uh, uh, Ariye's Greek knowledge? And then Ariye turns around and says. Or study some Greek, Aaron. <laughs> you know, like, but it's always really handy just to have him here. But, you know, maybe I should take a Greek course and actually bother to learn some of this, uh, you know, the, the language that the New Testament is actually written in. There's a good little piece of envy. Right? Amen. Uh, uh, yeah, there you go. Preacher, brother, provoke me. Okay. <laughs> uh, but these are the things. And, and, and this is what we should be doing for each other. And it's actually a beneficial thing when done in love done in kindness, done in patience, done in joy. You know, tell a joke about it. But, but, but the provoking can still, can still be there. Yeah, and, and but, you know, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. But love builds up, yes. That doesn't mean you have stopped saying and just let everybody sit where they are. You don't do that. You provoke each other to keep running the race. You, 
you, you're jealous of people who are running faster. And you say, oh, I should want to be a bit more like that. And, uh, and those are good things. It, yeah. it, and we're so thankful to be able to, to um, be together on this, on, this, uh, on this Zoom meeting. You know, it's, it's always such a joy to be able to come Wednesdays and, and Mondays and, and, and be not physically, but in spirit together. That's a real blessing. Um, Some of us get a chance to get together, which is a delight. Some of us wait until there's opportunities to get together, and that's a delight. And for those of you who are listening um, in the podcast, then sometimes we don't know who you are, but uh, yeah, you're still part of us, and we acknowledge that. We delight in that, and so thanks for listening and and um, and encourage us by writing in with your prayer requests. Encourage us by sending in some emails and letting us know what you think or contacting us through the Facebook page and uh, provoking us to continue on. And we hope that we, we will. So friends and family, thank you very much for wrestling with uh, the epistle to the Galatians as Paul continues to provoke us, to soldier on, to be united, to uh, participate in the works and fruit of the spirit, to be careful uh, with the way that we treat each other and, uh, and, and actually endeavor to serve one another and not to attack each other, but instead uh, act like a community that's actually attractive to the outside world and reflects the characteristics of God. I look forward to seeing you next week where we hit uh, the last chapter of Galatians, Galatians chapter 6, where I think we will begin to unravel who are these influences that have so upset Paul and caused dissension. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, Please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org. Blessings from the City of the Great King.